This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Hey, welcome into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM and 1025 FM KQAM. It's a Saturday morning. Great to have you for the ride. Trying to get you up and moving today. Get you pumped up, ready to go. Start off a whole brand new week. It's a little dreary out there, a little foggy. Feels like fall time. Feels like the spooky Saturday morning. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out today. We got a lot to get to on a Saturday here for Kansas Talk. Open lines to you at 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK as well. All presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. Buying, selling, and trading your gold and silver with honesty and integrity. They are opening up here in about a half an hour at 9.30. They'll be open until 2.30 this afternoon. We chatted with Phil Martinez last week with their coin and stamp show they had going on. We'll have him back in studio with us again next week as well to recap that and talk about some other things as well. Uh, big show lined up for you today. We have uh, State Representative Renee Erickson. She'll be joining us at the bottom of the hour in this hour for hour number one as we talk about the latest out of uh, Topeka and the state legislature. We'll be talking about some of the big bills they've been working on. I want to discuss some of the education funding plus the big news that uh, there were some hearings this week that boggled my mind. I don't understand it, but uh, all it is is it is trying to ban transgender individuals for uh, participating in women's and girls' athletics in the state of Kansas. That's all it does. Now, the opponents to the bill say that, that it causes bullying for some reason, and therefore we need to allow them to participate in the women's sports. But again, it's kind of odd to me, and the fact that we're having this conversation in the state of Kansas is kind of unique to me as well. So we'll talk with uh, State Representative Renee Erickson coming up at 9.30 to discuss that bill, where the latest is with it. Will it go anywhere? It's unlikely. I mean, we have a supermajority of Republicans in both chambers, but the fact that they are causing a really big deal about this bill this year is kind of odd. So we'll talk about that and what the latest is with that discussion in the state of Kansas. Plus, at 10 o'clock, a familiar name here on the KQAM Airwaves that we haven't had on in a while, but Wink Hartman, uh, as he used to do the Fab Five at Five once a week with Rick Everett uh, way back when, a few years back. And uh, Wink Hartman used to be on the Airwaves a lot. So we looking forward to chatting with him, former candidate for lieutenant governor with Chris Kobach, so we'll chat with him coming up to kick off hour number two. In our uh, bottom of the hour number two at 1030, we'll talk with Alan Cobb, the president and CEO of the Kansas Chamber of Commerce. So big lineup for you today. we got a lot to get to and a lot of fun things to chat about, but it's open line to you for this first half hour, 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. There are some really interesting bills in the legislature and some really interesting news coming out of Topeka that I want to get to in a second. But real quickly, I want you to do me a favor. We're also Facebook Living right now as well. You can go to Facebook.com slash 1480KQAM. You can watch the live stream for us on there as well, which we appreciate. Here's something interesting. Yesterday on The Voice of Reason, we uh, did an interview with the man himself. He's a good friend, Joe Pags, which you can hear all the time here on KQAM, live from 5 to 8 o'clock here during the week. Also, his weekend program right after us at 11 o'clock coming up this morning on the KQAM airwaves. We did an interview with him, and it was a little too long to fit the entire interview during the show, so I chopped it up. We just had the uh, video or the audio of it on the show, but we did record it in a video manner, which was really cool. I mean, he, he even said, he's like, How don't you, why don't you jump on my Skype? I'll record it, and I'll send it to you, and that way you can air the video, and it was really cool. 
and I appreciated it. And he, he did all the mixing down, all the production of it uh, for the most part, and he sent that over to me. And we weren't able to get it up during the actual show yesterday because I didn't have any video stuff to really edit that down for the time allotted during the program. So I released it as a special feature on the social media. We have it on our Facebook page. We have it on our YouTube page. We have it on our Rumble page. We have it on our Twitch page. Uh, it's going to be all over the place. Well, I put it on Facebook yesterday as a special feature. Now, as you know, I've had an issue over the last month with some banning and blocking on social media, and especially on Facebook, to where, really, I think we're getting shadow banned because we're not getting a whole lot of activity on there at all. It's kind of crazy. Before, we used to kill it on there. We used to be rocking it. I haven't been getting a whole lot of exposure because it's just not showing up on people's algorithm and people's uh, uh, home screens. So I posted the video, the special feature, entire 15, 17-minute interview that we did with Joe Peggs yesterday as a video interview on Facebook yesterday. And I said, what the heck? We're not getting a whole lot of activity. I'll do a little $10 boost on there just to boost out the page just to let people know that, hey, it's actually there and you can actually enjoy it if you choose to enjoy it. Well, shocker, because it's politically oriented, they denied the boost. I'm trying to literally give Facebook money, and they turned it down because they said that it was too political. Now, here's the thing. Again, I guess I'm on the radar now because I've been doing too much on social media, and they tried to ban it. But here's what the post said. I had to take a picture, and I sent it to Joe Peggs, and he said, this is absolutely stupid and unbelievable. And I said, you you will never believe what happened here. I tried to actually boost the post. Just do a simple $5, $10 boost. Boom, there you go. Giving Facebook money. And you know what they said? Here's what they responded with. It was rejected as a boost because your ad may have been rejected if it mentions politicians or sensitive social issues that could influence public opinion, how people vote and may impact the outcome of an election or pending legislation. Wait, so... Like any news story at all that would sway public opinion that may be talking about a politician or sensitive social issues that could influence an election or any type of legislation that's active right now is now no longer going to be. I'm waiting for Fox News or NBC or CBS or MSNBC or any of the mainstream outlets to be banned off of social media to where they can no longer post any stories or any articles at all in any way, shape, or form because they mention a politician, they mention, they mention sensitive social issues, and they could potentially influence your opinion on issues. Now, we're not trying to bash anything, and there was nothing of conspiratorial types in this interview in any way, shape, or form. As you know, I'm the voice of reason, so I talk about reasonable issues. And Joe Peggs is Joe Peggs, a journalist who talks about journalistic facts. But my interview with him, now it's probably because we mentioned the word Donald Trump, we mentioned the word conservative political action conference, we mentioned the word Joe Biden, and therefore that triggered all of them and they said, no, you're not allowed to boost this post because it may mention politicians or sensitive social issues that could influence public opinion or how people may vote. Uh, and how the how people vote and may impact the outcome of an election or pending legislation. So no longer are you allowed to influence anybody or give them any information to influence them or educate them on a vote of a piece of legislation or to vote for a politician or not based on you're, you're not allowed to do that. Apparently no opinion whatsoever. This boggles the mind.
this takes it to a whole new level, doesn't it? I, I mean, now if you're before they were like, well, we don't want fake news to be spread out there. We don't want any misinformation to be spread out there. So therefore, we're not going to allow conspiracy theories that needs to be through our independent fact checkers. And before it would pop up and it would say, well, you've been this supposed to have been blocked because of an independent fact checker or something. Oh, no. This one is because now you are influencing individuals. That's kind of the whole point, isn't it? It's to entertain and influence. I want you to know information to understand the issues or the individual so you can understand the piece of legislation or the politician going into an election. That's what everybody does, including the mainstream media, by the way. So now we're not allowed to even influence individuals. This is taking it to a whole new level. It's kind of crazy. So... Point in case, number one, social media still sucks. Number two, if you do see the video on there, which you can find it on the KQAM page, you can find it on the Voice of Reason page, you can find it on my personal page on Facebook, share it out. Like, share it onto your own page and, like, let's break the algorithm that way because the fact that I'm not even allowed to interview the 12th most highest listened to talk radio host in the entire country of Joe Pags and post a video interview of that on social media because it may influence you on how you perceive the world around you is a little absurd. 316-721-8255, 7-2 on talk. We have a lot of issues I do want to get to out of Topeka. We have uh, a bill that would ban businesses from requiring you to get the COVID-19 vaccine, which is awesome. So I'm glad it's sad that we have to even go down that road, but it's good we're addressing that. Schools may be forced to, to go to in-person learning here soon, even when they're not necessarily prepared. <laughs> Plus, we have the city council that's deciding on a candidate to fill the 5th district uh, seat as well. So that's coming up here soon, too. So lots to get to today, and I want to hear from all of you on all of your issues. But let's go to the phones here, shall we? Line at number one. Good morning. Who's this? Hey, Andy. It's the Sean. Sean, what's going on, sir? How are we doing? Hey. <clears throat> have you heard this? I'm going to give – I got a news story for you. It's the dumbest news headline of the week. <laughs> have you heard this? Okay. <laughs> You know the toy company Hasbro? Yes, with Mr. Potato Head. It's no longer Mr. Potato Head. What the hell, man? No, what he did is, he do? He is uh, only Potato Head. Now, I, I mentioned this on the show during the week, so you may not have heard that one. But, yes, I yeah, they are getting rid of Mr. Potato Head. You know sometimes when you go down the road and you just look for things sometimes that aren't there, people see, like, Jesus in their, you know, cereal, you know, in their Cheetos or something? Um, yeah. Because you're just looking for something. I, I fail to remember when Mr. Potato Head had any genitalia for them to decide whether he was Mr. Potato Head or Mrs. Potato Head. Because you could buy accessories to interchange them. And the crazy part was you could actually take off the limbs, take off the head, take off the hat or the eyebrows or the mustache. And you could take all of that off and then you could put different ones on there in different places. So he's already essentially gender neutral because there is no genitalia on a potato and you can decide exactly what you want your potato to look like so this is kind of one of those scenarios where you're just looking down the rabbit hole a little too deep aren't you uh yeah i think so i mean the poor guy is sitting on the shelf at the toy store minding his own business (laughs) and all of a sudden his creator comes along and strips him of his masculinity he got no identity now i mean for crying out loud you know three years ago I knew this woman from Idaho. So because she was from Idaho, I thought it'd be kind of funny to tease her. And I, <clears throat> for Christmas, I bought her a Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head from Walmart. <laughs> it's a good thing I got them when I did, huh? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess they're going to be collector's items when they used to be a Mr. and a Mrs., not just a whatever we want them to be, which they already essentially are if you actually just mix and match all the different accessories for Mr. Potato Head. It's a, it's a weird, weird concept. Sean, I appreciate that. we got some other calls here. But, yes, you're right. Potato Head now, no longer. That's Mr. Potato Head to you. No, it's not. It's just Potato Head for you. Yeah, we've gone down that road. We, we've literally gone there. We've gone down the lowest common denom- denominator of there is no gender identification on the potato. You just stick things on it to make it look however you want to. But that's apparently too masculine or something. Yeah. Although I will say, Sean, the testosterone is already probably pretty low because Mr. Potato is kind of plump. So, you know, maybe the testosterone's on the downward trend already. I don't know. <laughs> See there? See what I did? Ha! Let's go back to the phones here, shall we? Line number two. Good morning. Who's this? Eric. Eric, what's going on, sir? That's man. This Mr. Potato Head thing is a marketing ploy so they can sell Mr. Potato Head. Don't get too deep in that stuff. <laughs> so people are going to buy it this and that way. And the, I mean, it's a Do you think it's going to boost revenue, revenue, though? Do you think they're going to sell it? Oh, uh, hell yeah. All right. Oh, excuse me. I lost it. Yeah, it's going to boost revenue. People are going to buy both ways. They're going to buy the collector one, and they're going to buy the other one. But that ain't what I called about. Are you still there? I'm, I'm still here. Go for it. What? Why would the government need to put a I, the vaccine thing? Hey, I haven't done it, and I'm not planning on doing it. And I own a company, but if a company decides to do that, and as the owner, if I'm very susceptible to something, I would make all my employees get it. If they don't like it, they can leave. I don't think the government needs to be in, in the middle of that. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Now, I'm afraid of many businesses, you know, mandating it as such. I would, uh, I mean, I can see a lot of businesses maybe strongly recommending, hey, you know, we really want you to do this. You're in close quarters. You work around a lot of other people or you're in sales or you're in retail. So they may strongly recommend. But, I mean, you're right. I guess if it's a private business, they can choose to mandate it if they want to my concern more has been the the government saying that you must as a business force your employees to do such a thing which would be the opposite oh, no, end of the spectrum here that as well yeah that's wrong that shouldn't happen in that aspect but like a nursing home where my mother-in-law is uh when you're around that many people you need to get it or not work there yeah. i'm sorry there's too much on that i but i think the government shouldn't be involved in telling people that they can say, well, I'm not going to get it because we have a bill. And, I mean, that's kind of... Yeah, that's interesting. When we have in the face. you're right. When we have Renee Erickson on in the next half hour, we'll talk a little bit about it and what the what the details of the bill would be. Because you're right, we don't want government interference at all in the private sector. And if a business does choose to mandate it, then you know I personally wouldn't like to work at that business just because I don't want it mandated to me. But then you do have that opportunity to go elsewhere. And certain industries, like you mentioned, long-term care facilities or nursing homes, then the nurses or the people that work there. I think it would be more common sense for them to just be like, well, I'm going to get it regardless whether I'm mandated to or not, just because I'm around these certain individuals that are more susceptible to the virus. But I think it would depend, I guess, maybe on industry by industry or, like you said, business to business. Let them make their own decisions. Yeah. All right, brother. I'll let you get back. Hey, very good. Good to talk to you, my friend. Appreciate the call very much. I mean, you're you're right. I mean, it's a good point, uh, allowing the private sector to do its own thing and make its own decisions, which is a kind of a foreign concept in many aspects in life today. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. We'll take a break. we got lots to get to today with uh, the latest going on in Topeka. Plus, we're going to talk with a lot of great guests today. Make sure to stay tuned in uh, from now to 11 o'clock. It's Candace Talk right here on The Big Talker, KQAM.
25 minutes past the hour. Welcome into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker. KQAM, thanks for hanging out with us here this morning. Trying to get you up and moving. Nice and foggy and overcast this morning. <laughs> Still about 40 degrees. I love this weather. Love it. Love it. Nice and cool. Nice and damp. We can deal with this. I can roll this way. Welcome in. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. We had a relatively decent win this week. With the decision from the KCC, the Kansas Corporation Commission, regarding energy here in the state of Kansas. As you know, the last week with that extreme cold, we're still debating on the whole $600 per cubic foot of natural gas, which is a little ridiculous. But So that's still ongoing. We didn't necessarily win on that one yet. I actually got an email from Evergy personally just yesterday, I want to say saying your bill may be a little bit higher this coming month. And it's not because of the increase in rates, but just maybe because you used a little bit more. And here's an explanation on what you may see with your new bill and upcoming bill that may just be a little bit higher. So I guess we're supposed to anticipate that and just prepare for that one. But on the other front, there's been an ongoing debate in the state of Kansas regarding Evergy wanting to charge solar panel users more, which I find hilarious and ironic. So let me get this straight. Like last week, we had an extreme cold stent that went three, four, five days in a row. We broke some records in the state for how cold it was, how long the coldness was in the state. We ran out of natural gas. We ran out of electricity. They were doing rolling blackouts across the state in certain cities. Think about that for a rolling by. You are, it's negative 20 degrees outside with the wind chill. You're trying to stay warm. We're going to cut your power off from 30 to 60 minutes, which ended up being like two to three hours for many individuals, because we don't have enough to sustain everybody. So you just need to pay your fair share while you're paying for your electricity. And we're just going to cut it off for a while while you're trying to stay warm and then hope you don't freeze (laughs) because we ran out. These are the same ones that are saying we don't want you to get a solar panel because you're hooked up to our grid, but yet you're not utilizing us and paying us to actually use the stuff. So we're going to charge you as a homeowner, as a residential homeowner, we're going to charge you for having solar panels and actually generating your own utilities and generating your own electricity. We're going to charge you at a higher rate because how dare you get off the grid? How dare you not use our services? Because we want you to use our services, but when it gets really, really bad, we don't have enough of the services to spread around to everybody. (laughs) Do you see the uh, hypocrisy going on in this conversation? But the KCC, the Kansas Corporation Commission, did shoot down the plan from Evergy, saying that they are not allowed to charge the solar panel users more in their plan. Now, that doesn't mean, and they wanted to be very clear about this, this doesn't mean that the fight for higher rates is over because the other plan from the case, uh, from the company of Evergy was that they were going to raise the rates for everybody that uses Evergy because of the solar panel users that are hooked up to the grid. So you that don't have an energy panel or a solar panel, you would be charged a higher rate because of someone that does have a solar panel that wants to use less of the resources from the company of Evergy. Now, what their plan is, the secondary plan, is that they're going to charge everybody a $35 minimum. So if your bill is higher than $35, then you really wouldn't have to worry about it. But if your bill is like 20 bucks because you have a little bit of electricity going out to your shed just to like turn on a light when you go out there and you use it maybe like once a day for like five minutes and you get a like a $15 bill for the month, they're going to charge you now $35 for that minimum because, well, you're not, I mean, we need to just balance it out here. We're losing money because people are going off on their own and doing their own thing. Kind of like a state university. Oh, there's less students enrolled in it, so we shouldn't just, like, limit some of the uh, available courses that we have. We're just going to raise your tuition rates for the ones that are there. We're just going to make you get more government debt because there's less students coming to the university 
because of COVID. So they just decided not to come and not actually to enroll. So we're just going to raise your rates a little bit. <laughs> going to raise your rates a little bit because we need to get more students here so we can keep and maintain what we're doing. It's exactly what the Evergy company's doing. And that might be allowed. The reason they shot this bill down was because it was too close to another legal bill that went national saying that they weren't allowed to charge these additional rates. So Evergy finding every way to say, well, when it gets really, really bad, we're going to cut off your service because we don't have enough. But how dare you try and go independent and do your own thing? Not allowed to do that. Weird conversation for that one. I want to get your thoughts when we come back as well. Plus, State Representative Renee Erickson right after the break here on Candace Talk on The Big Talker KQAM. Back to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. 9.35 is the time here on a Saturday morning. Great to have you along for the ride today for a Saturday. Trying to get you up and moving for the day. That's what we do every single weekend right here on Kansas Talk from 9 to 11. Make sure to stay tuned in as we have really all the latest and greatest recapping the week and talking about the greatest out of the state of Kansas and the not-so-greatest as well. But we do what we can. <laughs> Great to have you. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. We'll get back to the energy thing in a second, and we can ask our next guest about that too, I think, in just a minute. And I'm kind of behind the ball here. So on our feed, uh, on our social media feed, we put on their state representative. She's not a state representative anymore. Uh, there's been an election and things, and she's moved on from the state representative seat to a Senate district at number 30. So I apologize for that, but we're so excited to have on the program. It's been too long since we've chatted with uh, this guest, and we love having her back on from Senate district number 30. It's State Senator Renee Erickson. Renee, how are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Andy. Oh, it's so good to talk to you. I appreciate it very much. And uh, uh, first off, again, congrats on the Senate seat because transitioning up there, you're you're now in the elite class, I guess you could say, up there as they <laughs> you guys are rocking it. I mean, with the super majority you have in both chambers right now, is there, I mean, just from what you've seen transitioning from the State House to the State Senate, has there been uh, just the environment up there, a little bit more confidence by Republicans of, hey, we might actually be able to get some stuff done this year? No doubt about it. Uh, there's a different different feel in both chambers, I think. Uh, just a pep in our step. Glad to get some heavy lifting done that we haven't been able to do, you know, last session. So definitely a different atmosphere um, for Republicans. It's a good feeling, and we're doing a lot of really good work. You guys are doing a lot of good work. Let's talk about some of the issues, and I know that it's been tough with COVID. You guys are trying to run through as much of it as possible in case you do get closed down again or, or something happens with COVID, but I heard a rumor about potentially the the uh, uh, state of emergency in the state with COVID could expire by the end of March. You guys are working on some of the uh, bills to potentially limit the governor. I saw the release from the governor's agent or the governor's department, uh, what was it, a day or two ago, urging you guys not to do that because then there would be a limited availability to actually handle pandemics in case something happens down the road again a.k.a. we really just don't want to lose our power and oversight and control over the situation. Where are we with that, and how is it looking by the end of March? Could we potentially see an end to the emergency declaration in the state? Uh, I'm glad you asked that, Andy. Yes. In fact, yesterday the Senate passed out the new version of KEMA, which is the Emergency Management Act. As you know, originally that act was um, in place to deal with natural disasters like tornadoes and floods, not a pandemic. So the legislature has been working very hard on rewriting that to make it applicable to a pandemic. The Senate passed out that act yesterday. 
So it goes to the house, and it, it has um, a lot of the safeguards that have been missing. It should correct a lot, provide a lot more oversight, so the governor does not have unfettered power, regardless of who the governor is. So cleaned up, firmed up, proud of that bill that came out yesterday out of the Senate. Very good, very good. Now, one piece of the bill, or is it a separate bill that's talking about the extension of the right to a speedy trial, trying to give some time frame to allow the courts to be able to catch up with that? Because that's one of the issues that many have had with ending the emergency declaration is the fact that right now we would be kind of in uh, not in compliance with uh, keeping up with the speedy trials and trying to hear all the cases that have been backlogged due to COVID. So is that a, is that the same bill or is that something separate? Separate bill. I believe that one's ever on the House side. Okay. Um, but that's that's a separate issue. Yes, you know, now we're having to do some different legislation to try to clean up the practical um, happenings of, of the shutdowns and the court system and so trying to uh, provide some relief for those different areas, but that is a separate bill. Good, good. You guys, now you're on the Education Committee there in the Senate, and I've heard, of course, that, that education is a huge part with the budget, with some of the tax bills and the, some of the discussions moving forward in the state. Uh, and then I see the headline this morning about, oh, these the, the schools may be mandated to start going back to in-person learning here relatively soon because the vaccine's officially out. How are we doing when it comes to vaccinating the staff and the teachers across the districts in the state of Kansas? And when could you see a potential, yes, you guys need to be back in the classroom full time? Absolutely. We need to get those kids back in school. We know it's what's best for those kids. Yeah. The governor actually bumped up teachers in the stage 2A of the rollout of the vaccinations because we do want to get kids back in school. Senate President Ty Masterson actually brought Senate Bill 235, which says that all, all students should have the in-person option by March 26th. That bill passed out of our education committee yesterday on the Senate side, so it's rolling. Um, we know it's what's best for kids. We want teachers to be able to go back safely and get those students back in the classroom. Well, that would be really nice. I mean, my six-year-old, she's been still doing the remote learning and try to get a six-year-old to pay attention to a laptop for, you know, six hours a day with the teacher and then doing the brain breaks and trying to take a break and then getting back on and then trying to connect and then doing all this virtual stuff. I'm kind of excited to have her back into the classroom and actually being around other students and actually doing this stuff again. So uh, the sooner the better. That would be ideal. Yes, and um, that's the goal. It's not a mandate to say that all kids have to be back in person, but every district must provide that option for those kids that it works for, because we know that remote work learning isn't working for every student. Yeah. So they have to have that option in place. Let's talk about the financing for education for just a minute. I know the governor's proposed budget said that more money was going to the schools when we're obviously in a 12, 11 to $12 billion shortfall in the next year, uh, largely because of COVID, some of the lack of revenue that came into the state. And you guys are working on some of the budgetary things and school was shut down for a while and school's been remote. So not as many of the uh, buildings have been up and active, so which I think has saved some money. Not all the school buses have been going active. Uh, and I know they've had to get some other things, some cleaning stuff, some masks, some laptops, and that and that sort of stuff. But where are we with budgets and spending for education? Because the schools are telling us that they've lost money and they need more money because COVID hit them hard when I just don't see a lot of their re resources being used as much as they were before. That's a great question, Andy. And let's keep in mind that Kansas schools got between five and six hundred million of federal COVID money to address those issues. 
in addition to the $200 million that they're getting just from the Gannon case, that the state's kicking in above what they got last year. So they have a lot of money, and we've looked at the federal COVID money drawdown. Schools can draw that down. As of this week, they had only drawn down about 41% of that federal money, and they, there's going to be another influx of money coming in when Congress passes the new $1.9 trillion bill. Kansas will get several hundred million dollars more for education. It's not an issue of money. Um, so. As far as the state budget, we held it to the constitutional level. Um, we are expecting them to use their COVID funds for some of the things that they should be like. They can use it for mental health. They can use it for a variety of things to help students catch up academically. They can use those federal funds for that. So there's plenty of money in the schools to be able to, to give our kids a good education. So in other words, the emergency funds that these school districts have for times of distress, if they're lacking funds for some reason, that were at record highs over the last couple of years, that has not been tapped into for school districts during COVID to try and buy cleaning supplies and that sort of thing. Correct. They they have federal money that yeah. is poured in to, to deal with that, yeah. Shocker, shocker, crazy. Well, one other bill that was that came up this week that was fascinating. I didn't realize that this was something that would hit the state of Kansas, but obviously, obviously it's here. That goes along with the schools and with the athletics with the students was the uh, the transgender bill where the bill that would ban the transgenders from participating in girls' activities and, and women, female activities and sporting activities, the transgender men wanting to participate in some of these, that would ban that. And the opponents of that say that it would lead to bullying. What else did you hear? Talk about the conversation you guys had in this committee with all these hearings because they quoted you and obviously it made sense with what you said that, what was it, 30, 40, 50 of the men that were running in track beat the record of the uh, the top record for the women. So, I mean, this is completely unfair. It's completely absurd, which is kind of the commonsensical approach to this. But they say that it's an act of bullying if they're not allowed to do whatever they want to do. To me, that I just don't understand that argument. Well, Andy, it was an interesting um, hearing that we had. The room was packed. Media was there. This is obviously a hot topic, but it's very simple. What this bill does, and I'm, I'm proud to carry this bill, is it simply says that biological females should compete in women's sports. And it's a fairness issue. Um, I think you're right. It, it absolutely is common sense. Um, People are free to live their lives however they want, but when it creates an unfair advantage and it hurts other people, then we need to put some protections in place. And this protects women. It protects those opportunities that I had as a collegiate athlete. And you're right. If you look at any of the comparisons between Olympic records, professional records, high school records, and the all-time best um, time in the 3,200 meter for girls, in track was beat by 50 boys in one track meet this wow. year. So, you know, it, it's just common sense. It's protecting those opportunities in a level playing field for girls and women. Well, yeah, I mean, we see the stories nationwide of the records being beat with wrestling and with, uh, like you said, track and field and with all these other sports where the men are just coming in and dominating these things. Then you see it even on the uh, more physical side of it with like MMA, where even some that are like, I don't really care what you do, do what you want to. Then they see these guys, these transgender guys go into women's MMA and break the, literally crack these skulls of women when they're fighting. And it's absolutely absurd to actually allow something like that to happen. I mean, that's abuse. It's ridiculous to where we're, 
I mean, you can believe whatever you want to. You can identify however you want to. We don't really care, and there's no need for bullying in any way, shape, or form. But to compete and break the records because we're biologically built and the muscle build is different between men and women, and to deny basic science like that, I just, to have that conversation just makes my head hurt. Yeah, you know, it's kind of sad that we do have to have this conversation, but, you know, that's where we're at with the Biden executive order, and we do need to protect it. And I think most Kansans realize that there is a distinct inherent advantage, biological advantage, that males have over females in the sports arena, and we don't want to take away those opportunities for those girls and women who've worked so hard. The past records will be erased and scholarships and opportunities and just participation are going to be greatly diminished if we don't protect uh, girl sports. Yeah. Are you confident? Do you think this bill is going to go through to be able to make this ban actually happen? Or how much pushback do you think is going to go if you guys continue this conversation? Well, you know, I'm I'm resolved to do the right thing, and it's the right thing to do. We um, had a hearing on it this week, and I've been told we will work it. It will come out of the Senate, go over to the House, and, and I'm very hopeful I will be working as hard as I can to make sure that we get this common sense piece of legislation in place. Well, good. I can see the House passing it as well with 86 Republicans there. Maybe we can get a, a, the majority of them, I would assume, would be able to vote for this. The big question is, I'm, I'm sure that Governor Laura Kelly would veto that one. So the big question is, will we get enough numbers to override that veto? You know, I don't quite understand her rationale for vetoing that. It's a very simple fairness bill. Um, When you want to hurt women, that's typically a Democrat-liberal position. So it doesn't make sense to me that she would, although we anticipate that would happen, and we will work hard to, to override that veto. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's the argument that I've had is doesn't this harm actual women when girls are trying to get scholarships to go to college for track and field or for volleyball or for any other sport, and they're losing those scholarships because of the transgenders that are actually winning and actually beating their records. I mean, this uh, the the quote-unquote feminists from the other side of the aisle, don't you think they'd be a little upset of, wait a second, we're trying to say women power here, and then all of a sudden men are coming in and beating us at our own game. You would think they wouldn't like that too much. I don't, I don't understand that concept either. I think there's some quarreling going on on that side of the aisle. Absolutely. And, Andy, in fact, we had a feminist group testify in favor of this bill for that very reason. You've wow. seen national athletes like Martina Navratilova come out and say, look, this isn't anything against anybody else. It's simply an issue of fairness for women. That's one reason Title IX was passed. You know, before Title IX, only one in 27 women participated in sports. And now that's about one in four. It's, it's going to take away those opportunities, that those good things that go along with sports teaching self-discipline, leadership, those scholarship opportunities. Um, those are going to be in jeopardy if we don't put this law in place. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And it's funny when the Democrats try and box people in so much that now even the boxes begin to bicker with each other, and then you see some of them coming over to the conservative side saying, wait a second, this is the most reasonable way for us to promote our agenda. Uh, I, I kind of enjoy that bickering on the other side of the aisle. Last couple questions before we let you go. We're talking with State Senator Renee Erickson from District Number 30. Uh, let's talk about COVID vaccine distribution. We've heard the discrepancies between the CDC and the KDHE about uh, where we're at population-wise with the distribution and whether we're doing really well in the nation or whether we're not doing very well in the nation. Where are we with that latest conversation, and are you confident with the continued distribution of the vaccine in the state? Well, I tell you, Andy, it's been a mess. Let's just, you know, not sugarcoat it. It's been a mess. Um, we are seeing some, some, hopefully, some improvements on getting that distributed. 
We did put a lot of pressure on the governor when she was prioritizing prisoners over law-abiding citizens. We did get her to bump up teachers and some of those essential workers over, you know, those in the prison population, not the staff, but the prisoners. Um, So, and we've seen that the age drop to 65 here in Cedric County. So I think things are moving in the right direction. Definitely not as quickly and as efficiently as it should have been. But I'm cautiously optimistic that we are moving in the right direction. Good, good. And last question. I don't know how much you've been involved with this one, but with the discussions with the Kansas Department of Labor and with the new secretary coming in with the unemployment fraudulent claims where there's that discrepancy between 290 to $600 million we paid out last year in fraudulent claims and then people still not getting their money that actually legitimately need it. Is that getting cleaned up and are you feeling more confident with that process or we, do we still have a ways to go there? Well, there's been progress made, but Andy, it's shameful that it happened in the first place. Yeah. Um, you know, the governor came out said about 290 to 300 million. We came out with another study said 600. We've been told that might be even a low estimate. Um, it's it's shameful it happened to begin with. However, there have been steps taken to prevent further abuse. So hopefully that'll be cleaned up soon. Um, and uh, it just should have never happened to begin with. Yeah, no, you're right. It, it should have never have happened. And then, of course, Governor Kelly just saying, wait a second, we just need federal money to come in and try and clean this up. And I, I love the comment from Senator uh, Roger Marshall. He just said, no, that's kind of a state thing. No one else is having this problem. And you as the governor need to take the leadership and actually handle this issue. But that kind of reflects the ongoing emotional response that the governor's had throughout this entire pandemic for the last year anyways. Renee Erickson, state senator, district number 30. Keep rocking it. We love you. We appreciate you and what you do up there very much. Keep up the fight. We'll get another update from you here real soon. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. Have a great day. You as well. Appreciate that very much. That's Renee Erickson, state senator from district number 30. We always love having her on the program. We'll get her back on the show again real soon. We'll take a break. Wrap up hour number one. we got lots more to get to here on Kansas Talk Plus. Your phone calls as well coming up here on The Big Talker KQAM. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM. About five minutes to the top of the hour. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Trucking through, trying to start off your Saturday morning the best way we know how to do so. I'm getting some comments on our interview with Joe Pags from yesterday as we did post that special feature extended video interview on our Facebook page. You can go there on the KQAM page, also on the Voice of Reason page and my personal page as well. And you can see that one. Again, we tried to boost that, but it wouldn't allow us to boost that one because it said that we were trying to influence people on legislation and politicians. (laughs) How dare you try to influence people's social media? You're not allowed to do that. Said no newspaper or TV network ever. So wouldn't allow us to boost it, but we did get it at least posted on there for now until they block it. I don't know how many people are actually being allowed to see it, uh, as it's probably not showing up on your news feeds because they want to shadow ban that one. So if you want to go view that one, again, it's a good 15, 17-minute interview with the man himself, Joe Pags, and uh, we had the honor to sit down with him yesterday and do a video interview via Skype, and he produced all of it. It's really cool. Make sure to go and check that out on The Voice Reason, the KQAM, and uh, my personal page on Facebook. We also have it on my YouTube channel and on our Twitch channel as well. So it's all over the place. Coming up, hour number two, we have Wink Hartman. It's been a while since we've chatted with that guy. I used to hear him on the KQM airwaves uh, semi-frequently. So we'll look forward to chatting with him. Plus, at the bottom of next hour, 
We'll talk with Alan Cobb from the Kansas Chamber of Commerce. And I'm really intrigued to see what he has to say about small business, about COVID-19, about the tax bills, the budget bill in the state of Kansas and where we go from here, because those are going to be some serious discussions we need to focus on in the state here relatively soon as we start looking at the, I don't know, $12 billion shortfall we have in the state. And Governor Kelly's like, well, let's just reamortize our CAPERS plan. So if you have the retirement, we just have to pay that longer and you're not going to get as many benefits. I'm the education governor, according to Laura Kelly. But we're going to like limit your benefits that you have as a teacher. But I'm for you, you teachers. I'm for you. I'm just going to limit your benefits. I'm going to give you more money for the school that they don't need, but I'm going to limit your benefits because that's just going to be awesome. So uh, we'll talk about some of that, where we go from there with the budget and some of the other pills coming out of Topeka right now because it's hopping up there as we speak. Lots more coming up. Hour number two at Kansas Talk right around the corner right here on The Big Talker KQAM. is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Darn right, it's Kansas Talk, hour number two of Kansas Talk, right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM and 1025 FM KQAM on a Saturday morning. Great to have you along for the ride today, trying to wake you up, get you moving. Mm-hmm, that's what we do right here every single weekend from 9 to 11. My little shameless plug, make sure to, we, we're coming up to the end of the month. I cannot believe February is almost over. Go to HoosierReason.com for our national show during the week with the Voice of Reason. Go to HoosierReason.com, sign up for our newsletter. That's going to be coming out in a couple of days. Just a little reminder for you before we go into the end of the week. But right here, it's Candace Talk. We're all over the state of Candace, and it's great to have you along for the ride today. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program. All presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. Buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. He is officially open right now. He'll be open until 2.30 this afternoon, so make sure to go and check that out. Uh, but we love Phil Martinez. He'll be back on the show with us next week to talk about the coin and silver show or the coin and stamp show that they had last weekend at Cessna Activity Center and how well that went. We'll talk about some of the gold and silver prices, which is really weird. Plus, there was some new legislation that I didn't get a chance to ask Renee Erickson in the last uh, segment, but there's actually uh, a bill making gold and silver a value to be able to use at the store if you don't have any cash. So you can actually use that uh, as uh, some type of value, which is really neat. And not very many states are doing that. We would be kind of a trendsetter if that ended up happening. So we'll talk about that legislation probably next week with Phil Martinez as well. But I want to shift gears a little bit. I am so excited to have this guy back on the program. It's been way too long since we've had him on. And for many of the KQAM listeners, uh, it's been a while. And I know that you've enjoyed hearing his voice over the years as well. You remember way back when, the Fab Five at Five with Rick Everett, uh, that was weekdays, and he came on at least once a week to chat there as well. But I'm excited to have on here a former candidate for lieutenant governor in the state of Kansas, Mr. Wink Hartman. Wink, how are you, my friend? Andy, it is great to be back on KQAM. I can't, I just can't believe you asked me back. Thanks. Hey, we had to get you. I've, I've been, there's been a void on the KQAM airwaves of uh, the lack of Wink Hartman. So it's good <laughs> to talk to you again. I know it's been way too long. I know that you've been extremely busy traveling all over the place, but uh, yeah, it is, it is good to talk. And I'm excited for the state of Kansas because outside of the governor's Yahoo stuff that I want to talk about in a minute, we're 
we're in a good position. We got new legislators in Topeka. We got new conservatives. We have a supermajority in both chambers. And it sounds like we might actually be able to get some stuff done. What do you think? Well, I'm excited about that. As you know, we've had a lot of Republicans, which were really moderates uh, for several years now. And finally, uh, the people of Kansas decided it was time to go back to the true conservative values that uh, has made us what we are. So I, I'm really excited to see real conservatives that have moved in and taken those seats. And like you said, Andy, we have the supermajority, which is so, so important with uh, Laura Kelly running around uh, uh, in Topeka. Yeah, it's... Uh, it- at least we have the numbers to override her vetoes if that's what we have to do, which hopefully she realizes, wow, maybe I'd look too foolish if they override like everything I try to veto. But uh, at least we have that opportunity if she chooses to go down that road. And I want to talk about some of the legislation up there, and at least with COVID. I mean, you're a business guy. You, you're a business guy in many different industries. And I'm sure over the last year, it's been kind of ridiculous with how COVID has impacted. Real briefly, just talk about uh, how your businesses are doing. I mean, you have Jimmy Zegg, you have the oil companies, you have the steak shop. I mean, it's been it's it's good to see, you know, the economy is still st- trying to survive. But at the same time, uh, I'm sure it's been taking a hit over the last year with COVID, hasn't it? Well, it's been tough. Uh, you know, it's been tough for everything that I'm involved in. But yet, uh, more important, it's been it's been very very difficult for like all the people of Kansas. Uh, yeah. Gee, the restaurants, Jimmy's Egg, uh, we were closed for several months, and then we had to open up at 25 percent capacity which uh, sadly you can't make any money doing that. Hartman Arena has been closed for a year, uh, no income, but yet my property taxes continue to skyrocket. Uh, ba- banking, you ought to try banking with a mask. I never thought we'd allow people to go in a bank with a mask Yeah. and, and ask for money, but you know what I mean? It, but the banking's been difficult. Uh, gee, everything we do, uh, the oil prices have been down. But hey, Andy, you play your violin, So, but that's the way it is. But you know what you got to do? You got to you know pull the big boy pants up. Yeah. And you got to go do what you got to do, yeah. and that's what we've done. We're we, we've kept all of our employees in place, uh, so that's you know what else can you do? You just keep fighting. Well, that's amazing, and, and kudos to you to be able to keep all the employees and keep things going the best you can because that is uh, that is true business leadership, and I applaud you for that hugely because there are so many businesses that are struggling uh, right now. Uh, real quickly, talking about the oil industry, I know the last uh, we finally before Trump left office, we hit energy independence in the nation without having to bring oil in from other places. Was that a good thing for the nation and for the oil industry? And now that we're starting to, you know, have the issues with Syria and everything, trying to bring, you know, foreign oil back into it, how's that going to affect the oil industry moving forward? Well, the oil industry is a, is a very, very touchy political situation, uh, unfortunately. But what's going to happen is right now you're going to start seeing foreign oil coming back into the United States in uh, ever larger quantities. You're going to see uh the United States oil production starts to decline, uh, especially in some of our northern states and northeastern states and, and gas. When when the president took away fracking, uh, the state of New Mexico is almost all federal lands. And the state of New Mexico produces a lot of oil, which uh, under the new guidelines, th- those days are going to come to a stop. Yeah. So the only place we're going to get oil to fill in behind the lack of U.S. production is going to be from foreign countries. And that said, they will have control of our future in some degree. 
Wow, that's going to be concerning. Now, like last week, we had the extreme deep freeze here in the state of Kansas. We had the rolling blackouts with natural gas. Uh, talk about the energy here in the state of Kansas, energy distribution. I know we have a little bit of wind. We have a little bit of coal. We have a little bit of oil. We have some natural gas. But could that have been avoided last week with actually having to have rolling blackouts and or having to pay the $600 per cubic foot of natural gas in the state that uh, that is going to bankrupt, I think, a lot of cities and businesses with a $2 million energy bill? Well, it's 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 ludicrous. It, it is deplorable. Uh, you know, fossil fuels is a dirty word, especially during this administration. <laughs> but fossil fuels is the very thing that could have avoided a lot of the uh, interruptions and problems. Uh, in, in Kansas, notice the price of gas. The price of oil goes up a dollar before the actual distributors get it through the pipelines and to you, the owner of the car. Price of gas goes up five cents. Yeah. They haven't incurred that price increase, but they pass it on to you before they do. But yet, vice versa, when it goes the other direction, they don't take it off the balance sheet, so you save on gas. So that's exactly the, the, the similar situation. They're already charging cities and states, I mean, as you know, thousands and thousands of dollars on what the commodities market did during that time frame. Sure. And it, it, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. Oh, it and is. The state... Well, the state, the state better wake up, and we need to be a leader in something. And maybe this could be a subject that the governor could uh, take on to do something right. Yeah, well, that would be a shocker if something like that actually happened. I used to know a breakdown of what you would pay at the pump between what was actually the price of the oil and then the taxes, the state and federal taxes on that. And it was like a 60-40, wasn't it? I mean, like near 50 to 60% of what you pay at the gas pump is actual, not the actual price of the oil as everybody's like, oh, the evil oil company is gouging us. But it was the actual taxes they put onto it uh, that really made it as ridiculously high as it was, wasn't it? Yeah, Andy, you're exactly correct. Uh, you know, I'm the producer. I go out and find the oil, and, and, and I transport it uh, by truck or pipeline to a refinery. Uh, my price is fixed. I don't get to sit there and, and negotiate, like, how much I sell my oil for every month or every day. Right. Uh, it is fixed by a market, so I take what I get, and I have to live with that market. Uh, it, it's difficult, but yet we are not the ones that affect the price of uh, gasoline at the station. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. We're talking with Wayne Cartman. Let's talk about some of the policy here in the state of Kansas. Your thoughts on the response to this COVID pandemic over the last year. My opinion was since the beginning, and I came in right at the beginning. I moved back to Kansas in March of last year, right as we were beginning to shut things down. Within a week of moving here, Governor Laura Kelly shut down the schools, which was the only state in the nation to actually shut down the schools the way she did uh, before anybody else. But watching the response to all of this, I've seen nothing more than just a scared kind of uh, out of control emotional reaction from Governor Kelly from this entire pandemic. Have you gotten kind of the same response? Yes, everybody, everybody I talk to, uh, and an awful lot of parents. I have grandchildren in the school system. Uh, it's it's very obvious that once again the governor, not knowing exactly what to do or how to go about it, she took the shotgun approach. You know, if in doubt. <laughs> Uh, close it down and, and the, the problem will go away. So that was basically what she did. She closed down the schools for no reason and turned around and put our children in serious, serious jeopardy going forward as far as their education. 
I, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I have a six-year-old. She's in first grade, and try to get a six-year-old to sit there in front of a laptop for you know hours on end for a teacher and trying to pay attention and follow along with her books without someone right there. I mean, my wife, luckily, thank God, she's able to stay home and actually do that and work from home. Uh, you know, just kind of with our projects and with just her being the homemaker that she is as well. She has the availability, but there are so many families that don't have that availability and they're trying to get their, you know, elementary, middle school, high school students to just pay attention to a laptop all day and not get into trouble or not just wander and drift and just kind of be distracted. You can't do that. We're seeing failing grades triple and quadruple across the state and the nation because of this. Well, you know, uh, I haven't heard it talked about yet, but I think there's something we might want to start to consider. I hope not, but is it possible in the coming years, say I seven years out, uh, and your juniors and seniors from 2019 and 2020 who agreeing with you probably didn't get a, a max education off of a, a computer screen. So is there going to be uh, some type of retribution as far as, well, I'd rather hire the kid that graduated from high school in 2023 or 2017 because this group doesn't have the skills that they should have. Yeah. You know, is that, I mean, that's something that could happen in the very near future where we start to move that group aside because we're concerned about what they really did or did not learn. Wow, it's going to be crazy. We're essentially, we could look at writing off an entire generation right now just because of one year of, or, or potentially a year and a half, two years of uh, losing an education and just kind of hitting a reset button there. That's a scary thought nationwide. Well, I think, uh, Andy, I think you're right on target. I think that's exactly what we have done. Uh, we have put ourselves in a position that we will pay for for years and years and when, when, when are we going to, I mean, nationally, Kansas, when are we going to get the kids back in school? Yeah. You know, all, all you hear is March 5th, March 26th, next year. It, <laughs> nobody's taking leadership except for the teachers union has total control of the ball. Yeah, no, that's very true. And luckily right now, the legislature does have a bill trying to force the schools to open and offer that option so that uh, so the parents can make their choice. But of course, yeah, the teachers, the teachers unions, not very happy. They want to get vaccinated first, and then they eventually want the children to be vaccinated, which as far as I'm aware, Wink, I don't, I don't know of any test results right now or any studies showing that it's safe for children. But at the same time, children don't spread the virus from what I've heard, that they may even have it sometimes, but it's dormant and it's uh, they can't spread it around. So really, the schools are really the safer places to be, aren't they? They're very, very clear, uh, especially for the, you know, the children through, you know, eighth, ninth, tenth grade, whatever. But uh, that is not the issue. Yeah. Uh, the safest place for them to be is in a classroom uh, being being educated. Now, let's compare that to in class or you're at home uh, in the living room with your aunt, uncle, cousin and uh, two brothers and sisters that all came over for Sunday dinner. Right. I'd much rather have my child in a classroom that has been clean, has proper air, has proper port- protocols in place. That That is where they're safe. They're not safe in all these other environments where their group activities continue to happen in the family unit. Yep. Amen to that. We're talking with Wayne Cartman. Let's go ahead and take a break here. When we come back, I want to talk about some of the policy going on in the state with the, the tax debate, the different budget proposals, education spending, and some of the other stuff as well, and to see how we move forward in the state. And when can we just get things open back up? Will the emergency declaration end by the end of March? We'll talk about all that and more with Mr. Wayne Cartman when we come back right here on Candace Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM. Stay here.
24 minutes past the hour. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Thanks for hanging out today. Trying to wake you up, get you moving for the day. I know it's hard. It's it's a beautiful day. 40, 42 degrees right now, and it's foggy. I feel like it's October. <laughs> Although, don't push it that far. I don't know. Some people may like it. Let's get through 2021. Be done with this stuff. Welcome back in. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. We got some calls on the line. Hang in there. We'll get to you in just a second. Hanging out with the man, Wink Hartman. As uh, Wink, I want to ask you about this as a business owner as well. There's some news about nationwide they're encouraging all businesses to mandate the COVID-19 vaccine for their businesses. We have a bill in the state legislature right now that would prevent businesses from mandating the COVID-19 vaccine that the Republicans are working on. As a business owner for numerous different businesses, would that be something that you would push is, is mandating your employees to get the vaccine once it becomes readily available for the general population? Well, Andy, the, the key word there that, that disturbs me in this whole conversation is mandated. Yeah. Uh, when you start mandating to the people, uh, A, B, C, D, or E, uh, pick the subject. But when you mandate, that means you take away individual rights. Uh, gosh, as a real conservative, uh, that's pretty high on my list. Individual rights is paramount. Uh, although I would like to see everybody get a vaccine. Yeah. But to mandate, you know. The word mandate pretty well eliminates me from uh, jumping on that bandwagon. Yeah, it's scary. I mean, when we talk about the federal level now and them, you know, mandating the masks right now for any kind of public transportation federally, and now they're talking about, well, if you're going to fly on an airplane, you need to wear a mask and get the vaccine. And soon we're going to make sure on your passport that you got the vaccine, you got that green little dot. I think I heard that one country in Europe is already starting to do that, where you need to have the vaccination papers in order for you to get on an airplane. If that's the case, I think society is going to change quite drastically over the next few years. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think the society has permanently changed to a degree in uh, uh, several areas, uh, travel being one, uh, group gatherings uh, being two, uh, educational system. Uh, this this is going to go on and on, uh, unabated, if you will, maybe for uh, two, three, four years. As long as uh, Biden's in office and they can take our rights away from us, you're going to see them erode, surely. Man, it's a scary thought. Let's talk about some state issues for the last couple of minutes here before we got to let you go. But uh, the budget is being proposed sitting right now. Kansas is sitting at between 11 to $12 billion and a shortfall for this fiscal year, more for the next fiscal year because of COVID-19. And they're still talking about wanting to expand Medicaid. Now the governor does have a genius plan, I guess, to legalize medical marijuana, to use the revenue for that, to pay for the Medicaid expansion. Because I think she's starting to realize that even though the federal government says they want to cover 90% of the bill for the expansion of Medicaid, they're not going to cover 90% of the expansion of Medicaid in the state of Kansas. So uh, why we would talk about wanting to expand this program, even now especially, I just don't understand. Can you help me understand this? Well, yeah, I, I'm not a mind reader. You know, I don't have that crystal ball that I guess somebody else does in Topeka. But, you know, the reality is very, very simple. Uh, a budget. Now, there's nothing mystical about a budget. A budget is nothing more than a financial plan where you estimate your income and expenses. It is really that simple. The problem now in Topeka is that they don't have the ability to do that. So we can blame COVID. We can blame all kinds of reasons. But the way the state is being run we have a gigantic deficit. Yeah. Now, under state law, we are not allowed to have such deficit. So somebody's going to have to start to bail us out with your tax money. Keyword, tax money. Sure. Now, Andy, I've got, a, I've got a novel idea. 
this, this might even surprise you. Why don't we create the office of a state auditor? Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> state auditor. I like okay, that. first thing you're going to think is, well, you're thinking, oh, another, you know, another boondoggle. We're going to have another office, more, you know, more expenses, more politics, yada, yada. No, that's not the way it should work. The state auditor keeps track of the flow of monies in these departments. Make sure we can put a stop before we get ourselves over the dam, if you will. So a state auditor plus, a state auditor would pay for himself, herself, and their complete staff. A state auditor would find tens of millions of dollars of wasted money in the budget and in the different departments. Wink, if we did a state auditor, then that would actually like hold politicians accountable for their spending. I mean, and I, I just, I don't... I, I don't know that uh, they would ever want to do said thing. I mean, that's a scary thought for many politicians in Topeka. Well, okay, but let's let's reverse that coin. I'm responsible for my checkbook. I'm responsible to pay my bills. You you do the same. You're responsible. Yeah. Why is it too much to ask for our elected officials who are spending our money to be accountable? a wild concept what a crazy wild concept you know like common sense up in topeka i love it wink cartman it's so good to talk to you my friend we're out of time here i know you're a busy guy but let's do this again in here real soon what do you say hey uh what they say a bump fist to you hey i like it wink it's always good to talk to you my <laughs> friend we will do this again real Thank soon you. and i appreciate the time uh very much well when we come back we got to take a bottom of the hour break we got some calls on the line stay here we'll get to you plus we'll talk with alan cobb candace chamber of commerce on what the latest is with small business in the state as well as we continue on Wrapping up the show for Candace Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM this week. Stay here. to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Darn right, you are. Welcome back into Kansas Talk. Last half hour of the program. It's hard to believe it go by way too fast. Way too fast. We just fly uh, fly through this program. If I can talk today, good golly. Uh, Joe Pags live with the weekend coming up here in about a half hour here on KQAM. Make sure to stay tuned in for that one. Also, make sure to check out our interview we did with Joe Pegs. I did it yesterday for the voice of reason. We had that on the podcast, so you can listen to that. You can also listen to the special feature of the extended version of the interview. We did it video style. It's all over our social media. You can find that on there. Now we can't boost it and make it more available because they won't allow us because we're influencing the opinions of individuals. That was the direct quote on why I'm not allowed to um, boost on Facebook. Oh, no. So I found that cute, but you can go and check that interview out. It was a great 15, 17-minute interview with Joe Peggs, and it was really cool. We appreciate his time very much. Great guy, and you can listen to him live coming up with The weekend in about 25 minutes. We have Ellen Cobb with the Kansas Chamber of Commerce. We'll play that interview in just a second, but let's go to the phones here, shall we? 316-721-8255, line number one. Good morning, who's this? Hello. Scott. Hey, Scott, what's going on, sir? Well, this is Black History Month, and uh, uh, it ties into uh, the uh, experiments that uh, eugenics and the United States government were doing on black people uh, from the 30s all the way up to the 1970s, and no one was held accountable. And now today we have, uh, uh, in the police state, we have uh, them again trying to use experimental medicines 
on the wide public worldwide view, uh, the uh, Nuremberg trials and the you know the Geneva Convention strictly forbids anyone from coercing you or trying to force you to take experimental medicine. And the United States signed those treaties and are obligated to those treaties. And if they fail to abide by those, then other countries can drop the Geneva Convention, which means there won't be anything as a war crime. There won't be no such thing as a war crime anymore. And 9-11 will be a regular type of event because no one can really be held accountable once they break the treaty. Well, no one's so, being held accountable for a lot of stuff right now. I mean, mandatory masks are, are even really essentially unconstitutional, telling what people have to do to a degree. So, uh, I mean, you're right. There's a lot of things that are being uh, violated just because we just don't care. I mean, government does not have the power to regulate social programs at the federal level either. That's a statewide issue. So we've been violating our own laws for a really long time, but I'm glad you mentioned that uh, because we've been hearing that some of the quote-unquote underserved communities uh, around the state of Kansas, especially nationwide of the black community or the Native American community, are not getting the COVID-19 vaccine because they say there's not enough access to them, which could be uh, true as well. But from what I've heard, there's that a lot of, yeah, a lot of that's people, experimental too. I well, mean, and that's the thing. I mean, a, a lot in the community yeah. don't want it because they don't trust the system. Right, exactly. Because it has a history of giving medicine to people, especially in other countries where they're poor, where the medicine is ineffective. But all of a sudden, like like in the case of uh, 1987, when the World Health Organization gave smallpox vaccines to parts of Central Africa, those same countries end up having a high level of HIV. So, I mean, uh, you can't really trust these type of organizations because their agenda is a hidden agenda, mainly one of the eugenic-type programs, which, you know, they want to uh, eradicate a lot of people in the world, and they find that using medicine is a way of, of doing a soft-kill warfare on people. Well, I, you're right. I think a lot of people do believe in that mindset, and I think a lot of people just don't trust with all the hypocrisy that we've seen from this entire thing uh, since the beginning as well, plus the fact that we got a vaccine out in eight to nine months when it usually takes a few years to do so. Uh, do we really trust it, and do we really know what's in it? So, Scott, I appreciate that. It's a great point, and it really does bring up a conversation that I think we need to have with uh, certain demographics and certain groups of individuals that don't want it when the media is saying that they just can't get it, and then we're forcing, again, population to get it or telling them they have to or trying to educate them to encourage them to get it uh, when they, they're they just skeptical. I'm skeptical for crying out loud. I, I'm not going to get the vaccine. Mrs. Voice of Reason's not going to get the vaccine. Little Voice of Reason's not, not going to get the vaccine. I'm just not doing it. not going to get it. And if they tell us I'm not allowed to fly, then I guess I'm not flying anywhere for a while. But I don't care. I'm not going to get those things because uh, I, I don't trust it. I just don't want it. And I believe that there are better ways to fight off the virus as a natural ways to build up your immune system. Now, obviously, some people need to get the vaccine because they can't do that because their immune system's compromised. But there are uh, ways that you can naturally build it. They still, the CDC has yet to come out and say, uh, you know, yes, wear a mask, yes, get the vaccine, but at the same time, you can build up your immunity by taking these certain vitamins, by doing these certain exercises, by losing some weight, by doing, uh, uh, by taking zinc and, and magnesium and vitamin D and vitamin C, and that would help boost your immune system, so that way you're less susceptible to actually getting it and actually getting sick, even if you do get the virus. They're not even talking about that, because they want you to get the vaccine, and I think that just shows a political agenda on their front. All right, so I appreciate it. We'll go down that road 
Road a little bit later as well if you want to. But I want to play this interview. We sat down with Alan Cobb, the CEO and president of the Kansas Chamber of Commerce, just a couple of days ago, talking about small business, talking about the COVID, talking about the state of Kansas in general. And this is what he had to say. Mr. Alan Cobb with us again today. Alan, how are you, my friend? Good, Diddy. How are you? Thanks um, for having me. Yeah, it's good to talk to you. Living the dream every single day. There's a lot to get to, especially with COVID over the last year. But before we get into what COVID has done, before that, where were we in the state of Kansas, small business-wise? The economy starting to do relatively well, I thought. The transition from the Brownback administration to the Governor Kelly administration. What did you notice before COVID hit last year? Well, Kansas being, I would state the obvious, one of 50 states, there's a lot of commonality among the states as far as the economy goes. And Kansas had been growing and doing well, both on the private sector jobs and income uh, and wages were on the uptick in Kansas and virtually virtually all sectors. Uh, granted, for the Wichita area, the 737 MAX certainly had a big impact because Spirit is such a, a big part of that, obviously. And so that that was literally about the only little wrinkle in what was happening at the Kansas economy. So it had begun to to really grow. And COVID impacted the entire country. In some ways, Kansas was not harmed as much as other states, partly because of our business mix. I can't pretend it's any particular policy. The economy in Kansas is not driven as much as other states by hospitality. Mm-hmm. Yes, as native Kansan, I want everybody to travel here. I think there's a lot of cool things to see and do, but that's not what drives our economy. And I was surprised how many states do have a big chunk of their economy that is tourism and hospitality. Obviously, you think of Las Vegas and Florida, but there's a lot of states, Wyoming, Montana, both summer and winter tourism, the Black Hills in South Dakota. Louisiana, which I think of an oil and gas state, an ag state, well, no, New Orleans tourism is a big part of it. So, again, it's it's the uh, the 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 way it worked out is that Kansas didn't suffer as much. Now, aviation in Kansas took a hit because obviously commercial aviation is gonna. We're still a couple years away from recovery. I think maybe three years from full recovery. International travel is going to take a while. And there are companies in Kansas that make make parts for big uh, for the big international airplanes. Well, Spirit does with the 787, the nose cone, and and then civilian aircraft was was harmed, but not quite as much. And they've seen an increase in courier planes because now the internet is a bigger part of the retail delivery. So mm. it, it certainly impacted us uh, a great deal. The state uh, ag was not quite as impacted as originally I thought. There were a bunch of, of really bumps in the road early on with the with the beef supply chain. And but regardless of whether you have pandemic or not, both animals and people need to eat. So that that uh, the Kansas ag ag economy suffered a, a little not 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 as much as I originally thought. Well, that's good. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to ask about ag was, I mean, obviously the big story at the beginning of the pandemic was the meatpacking plants and them shutting down. So that caused kind of an issue with the with the market. But what do you think affected maybe ag in the state more? Was it COVID or do you think it was some of the trade deals during the Trump administration? Then maybe, maybe the transition to trade deals during the Biden administration now? I think it was both. I think the trade, both COVID and just what was happening in the world now, Yes, the, the the press reported some of the of the harm to some farmers on trade, but 
At the same time, the Trump administration was playing pretty hardball with China, and they were kind of talking a big game about limiting exports. They did start buying a lot more soybeans. And I don't know if that was just a strategy for them, or literally they had to buy them because they don't have the production capability within China to make that. So uh, farm income was up in, in 2020, uh, I think 5 6 7% over the year before. Some of that is government assistance. There's no question, but I think it was a, a, a combination of all those things. I think the beef packing plants, certainly that had an impact on COVID, meaning shutting some of those or, not, or limiting some of the capacity. But to their credit, they worked through that fairly quickly. Sure. And figured out how to have a safe workplace and and uh, get get folks treated, get get the infected folks out, et cetera. So I think they handled it handled it pretty well and kept the the meat supply going. Anybody looked in the grocery stores in April, May, June, didn't have as many cuts of meat as you usually do, but it was rarely completely barren. And so give them give the entire supply chain from the calves to the processed beef folks uh, credit for keeping literally keeping everything rolling as best as they could. Yeah, that's really good news. I mean, at least the agriculture community was able to adapt a little bit. On the retail side, though, obviously retail took a big hit during COVID because no one was really going anywhere. But at the same time, I mean, they went to the grocery store and we saw, I mean, everybody panic about toilet paper for some reason, which was hysterical. But retail overall in the state, did we see any difference when it came into maybe the, the tax receipts and the income for the government there? Or certain industries that got hit in retail more so than others uh, during the COVID during the last year? There, there was a dip at first, but overall, I'll just say I just happened to see this retail from January 2022 or 2021 compared to 2020. So right before the pandemic and 11 months after, retail was up somewhere between 6 and 11%. I've seen different data, and that's a lot. Now, that includes online retail, but so it's not, but it's not all just Amazon and Chewy and, and Wayfair. I've talked to some small retailers that the fact that they were shut down, and which we can talk about that too, kind of forced them into speeding up their online presence. And I know there's a small retailer here in Topeka that sells specialty home goods. I'm trying to think of an equivalent in, in Wichita, but I'm sure there's a couple. And it's like the place I always go, and I'm not sure exactly what to get my wife for Christmas or her birthday. I know this particular place is going to have, have a, a, a great selection. Anyway, it forced them to speed things up on their online presence. And now they're getting customers from all over the world. Well, before it was all just, just walking. Now that, I don't think that's unusual, but that's not necessarily typical. That is a little bit of a silver lining, but uh, retail, I, I think things are still going to continue to change with bricks and mortar, uh, but it's forcing uh, a lot of the places to provide, uh, provide an online presence. And there's a small retailer in Lindsberg that, that sells the Swedish horses and Swedish stuff, and they, they experienced some of the same things. They were already online, but it, it, it kind of forced them to beef that up, and their, their online orders took off. So it's, it's a mixed bag. The folks that were particularly harmed, obviously restaurants, which is going to take them a while to recover. And some of that was the pandemic where people were just not wanting to go out, and some of it were, I think, ill-thought, uh, or I'm sorry, um, misthought restrictions and shutdowns, and there were not a lot of data to say things are being spread in the restaurant, and there's some of the local governments in Kansas are still doing that. Well, we're going to limit your hours as if COVID <laughs> only becomes really dangerous at 
10.01 p.m., but not at 9.59. Exactly, and yeah. Some of those things are, are still happening, uh, unfortunately. But I think we're going to have a, a good year on the in the economy, and it's not because of the Biden administration, some of the, some of the uh, things that they're discussing, but you've got a lot of pent-up demand. You've got a lot of people's savings rates went up. Uh, the, can, or, uh, in the U.S., the household cash wealth has increased by a trillion and a half. And I'm not talking about 401k stock. I'm talking about cash, which is savings, which is primarily savings and checking accounts. Some of that's from refinancing. A lot of it's it is some some stimulus, and then it's also people saved. At some point, they're going to be be spending that. So that looms looms good for the economy. I think the question is what it may some of the big government policies, whether it's minimum wage or something else, is going to depress that. Well, that's a concern. I mean, it's really good news that we're actually holding on to our money because we really can't go out to spend it. And hopefully, I want to get back to the business in just a minute. But uh, with that kind of money being reinvested into, you're right. I mean, if we have $15 hour minimum wage, we have the tax bill that was proposed by Governor Kelly here in the state regarding uh, sales tax on the online purchases. Because as you mentioned, we're buying things online. We're maybe going to Netflix and doing streaming services. Uh, according to her, let's go ahead and tax that. I mean, what would that do to the economy? Would that balance out the power to small business like what they say because, well, we're being taxed at the local level, so now we need to tax the online to help support local business? Or would that actually damage us because now that we've kind of transitioned to that, now it's going to hurt us by actually shopping online? Well, anytime you have an increase of taxes, there's a negative effect. The question is the balance. Are you getting then uh, an equivalent government service that helps the economy? And that's rarely part of the discussion in Topeka. Uh, the state has been taxing online online goods outside of digital for for more than a year now and most states are and there is a there is a fairness issue and in, in, of, of sorts our proposal was whatever is raised through online uh, sales then reduce the overall sales tax now digital goods was exempt she proposed digital goods the governor did uh, to tax those and I understand there's a tax fairness issue there too I guess if you know Netflix was going to a movie the the other side is that is Whenever the government creates another tax, it's usually only going to go up. <laughs> but uh, you know, you have to balance that again with with having you know picking winners and losers a little bit on the product you sell. But and I, digital goods is not going anywhere this year. That is not going to be taxed. I'm not sure it is next year. And I think something to take a look at if this is just going to happen is take that and lower lower the overall overall sales rate. But most states are taxing again outside of digital. Most states are ta- taxing online goods. In fact, if they all aren't, of course, there's a couple of states that do not have sales tax, which sure. is a whole other conversation about on competitiveness there. But um, we do have a high sales tax in Kansas. We're seventh or eighth in the country in combined state and local sales tax. That, that is not a good thing to be in the top 10. And uh, I, for whatever reason, the legislature has struggled with figuring out how to how to lower that, and that it, it affects lower-income people more than middle- and higher-income people, um, the sales tax, because everybody's purchasing a certain basket of goods that's the same. So I'm, I think I'm kind of kind of answering your, your question, but it's on the digital goods, uh, yeah, what's the money going to be used for? Well, that's and a big question. Does, yeah. is the, is the state, does the state need it? And it's, do we still need a, kind of a full accounting of all the state uh, and, and local government resources that came through the CARES Act and the very stimulus, and of course, looks like Congress is going to pass something else. And is is that being accounted for in an appropriate way? And and there are some states that are looking seriously at at, 
um, reduction in tax rates because of their revenues are up, and partly uh, because said so you've got you've got some of the retail sales didn't change much, and um, uh, it's interesting that uh, this is not the kind of recession that was 2008 2009 which affected everybody. This one was more targeted, unfortunately, on those certain industries, and for a lot of the rest of the economy, and in, in fact, some parts of the economy, this they. If you own a liquor store, you had a good year last year. Yeah, exactly. We're talking with Alan Cobb, Kansas Chamber of Commerce. Let's talk about some of the industries that have done well and things that actually need some help. We talked to Scott Schwab, Secretary of State, about some of the business applications for new business in the area, and he said that they're doing well, that we've actually seen new business trying to apply to start in the state of Kansas, which is good news. Have you heard of what type of industries are doing well versus ones that struggled or maybe had to shut down over the year? Uh, is it maybe diversifying to technology or online services? Is it maybe the restaurants and bars that, that are actually closing more so than any other industry? Yeah, restaurant restaurant bars and I'd say hospitality. Again, hotels where occupancy is really, really low. And we've all heard the – I've only stayed at a hotel a couple times – and the rates are low. I mean, you can pretty get a hotel room for 50, 60 bucks, even in a, in a larger, a larger city. So bars and restaurants have certainly struggled the most folks doing online. You can just, you know, watch any of the business shows, whether it's, it's any of the tech companies, Microsoft, et cetera, the brand names certainly have done well, Amazon, but then a lot of the companies that we've not heard of that sell products to those online uh, companies to make sure that their, their internet sales are going through and, and pay engines and et cetera. Um, those that are, are manufacturing, well, home goods have done very well, uh, people updating their houses. And I'm not sure how to reconcile people spending more on their houses, except, but the savings rates are up. So, but those are the, that's the data and that's the fact. So my sense is they're not spending it. They were not spending it on vacations for sure. Anybody's taking a vacation. There is no such thing as a cheap vacation. There just isn't. The weekend trip to Kansas City is not cheap, let alone the week trip to the Grand Canyon. And uh, so I think some of those dollars were plowed back into updating bathrooms and bedrooms or or new, new furniture. So um, there's, I, I, you know, I saw I would I was in Wichita over the weekend, went to the Nifty Nut House, one of my favorite stores, and the shelves were a little empty. And I saw an article in the Wichita Eagle this week. I, although Nifty Nut House was really busy, which was great, but COVID, this is a whole nother issue, but how COVID has impacted supply change and air, supply chain, everything from a place like Nifty Nuthouse to manufactured. And some of the problems, whether it's products coming from China or uh, there's a reason you're not seeing as many new automobiles out there because the chips that go into automobiles, they there's there's a shortage. And so those chips are going into everything but automobiles. And there's a little bit more complication related to that. But so there are, and I think auto sales went way up in 2020. Again, probably people wanting to spend money on something. I think the projections are they won't be quite as good in 2021. You, most people don't buy a new car every year. Sure. No, that's very true. Last question before we let you go. I know that you're busy, but let's talk about some of the litigation. You had mentioned it briefly about the small businesses suing maybe the county or the state government for shutting them down, putting the restrictions on, and then them losing their profits or even having to possibly shut their door. Is it justified? We haven't heard much from AG Derek Schmidt about the legality of it on whether it's justified, whether it's uh, uh, whether it's going to go further, but the government telling a business how they can run their business and whether they can stay open or not and lost revenue uh, seems like a somewhat justifiable court case. 
Well, it is, and I've had several conversations with the Attorney General, but there is a statute on the books. I mean, the, the bottom line, whether whatever concerns there are about can the state afford or local government, there is a statute that says if a business is used, and I, don't, I should have pulled the statute language up right in front of me, but if a business is used to is or shut down because of a because of an emergency management uh, decision, then they need to be compensated. Now, granted, it was probably anticipated that this would be used, let's say, for a fly, fire, flood, tornado. Hey, we need to use your warehouse to put medical workers. We need to use your warehouse to put um, uh, food supplies. Uh, I, some people talk about well, using using a farmer's field to have a fire break. Now, interestingly enough, fire breaks are particularly exempted from this, but the principle still applies. Why were businesses shut down? It was to prevent the spread of a pandemic. So it's different, but on the same, on the different sides of the same coin on saying, no, we're going to use your, we're going to accommodate your restaurant to provide meals for, for emergency workers. So there's no questions in the statute we want to be realistic on the dollars that are available, but also this should be a very strong signal and a reminder to local governments that you can't just do whatever you want. There are some guardrails, and if you want to do this, then you, you there is some compensation that's owed. And I think what this is going to force some legislation, there's a news conference today, which we participated in, to come up with a path forward on how this should be handled in the future. My, I, I Hopefully this is the last pandemic of my life, but you never know. <laughs> and uh, again, the bottom line is the statute's on the books. Are we going to follow what the law says or are we going to try to pretend that it doesn't doesn't exist? And uh, I think businesses are realistic and practical. No, the state's not awash in money. And um, there are so there are some fiscal constraints, but it's it's not quite like a taking, like when the government takes your land to build a bridge or a school because they're utilizing your your private property for a certain amount of time, well, there should be some method, some calculation for for compensation there, whether it's direct cash uh, or is it a waiver or tax credits for property taxes. There's a whole whole lot of things. I know Central County came out and said, oh, it's going to cost them $50 million. I don't think I saw their their math. They did not show their math on their test on how they were coming up with that. So I'm not sure how they, they came up with it. Well, it doesn't make a lot of sense with some of the stuff that they've done, and it's been very frustrating, I think, for both individuals and businesses across the board. So it definitely has opened up the door for conversation to maybe evolve and push ourselves to a different realm, which is, as you mentioned, I mean, going online and trying to do business just a little bit differently, which is a good thing at the t- at times, but when the government's telling you how to do it, it's very frustrating as well. Alan Cobb, Kansas Chamber of Commerce, we always appreciate the time, my friend. It's good to talk to you again. Let's do this again here real soon. Anytime, Andy. Thank you, and congratulations on all your success. I look forward to talking again. There it is. That was Alan Cobb, the Kansas Chamber of Commerce. We appreciate his time very much. Great conversation, a lot of information. Hopefully you gathered all that up. We'll have the podcast up in a little bit, so that way you can listen to it again if you so choose to do so or if you didn't get to listen to all of it. But that does it for us today here on Kansas Talk. Back at it next Saturday. Next Saturday, really excited. We got uh, Cedric County Sheriff Jeff Easter. He'll be joining us at the same time. We'll be talking with the Kansas Farm Bureau, talking about agriculture and how it's been affected by COVID-19, by the trade policies by between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, between the cold weather last week, and more. So we'll have that interview coming up for you with the Kansas Farm Bureau, plus Sheriff Jeff Easter, and more all coming up next week, plus the Voice of Reason at 8 p.m. on Monday right here on KQAM. Until then, everybody have a great weekend.